You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. For everything, for everything indie, for everything cults, it's the Blue Horseshoe now. Here's your host, George Bremer and Ryan Hickey. And welcome back into another edition of the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. Ryan Hickey and George Bremer here with you, the Jaguars preview edition. And George, just like we thought before the season started, week six against the Jaguars at Army Circle it as one of the most important games the Colts have played in recent time. And a game that, frankly, George, could really determine the true direction of where the Colts are going to go, either in the tank or maybe compete for the division. Yeah, and I feel like we say that every week because it feels that true. way every week. <laughs> um, but eventually this division's going to stop giving out chances. I mean, they've been lucky so far because every time we've said that previously, it's been just as true. But then the rest of the division really hasn't taken advantage of, of their opportunities and, and you end up back in this spot. Eventually, that's not going to be the case. Sooner or later, they're going to lose one of these games and it's going to seriously hurt them. And we've seen it. You know, you go back to like 2016, 2017, it was along the same same lines. The Colts would win some ugly games early. They end up having a bad season overall, but they're in the division longer than they should be because of it. Eventually, it does catch up to you, and I feel like that's going to be, you know, it very well could be this week. I mean, for one thing, if they lose on Sunday, there's no chance of a, of a winning record in the division, and it's hard to imagine winning the division without doing that. Even when things are as, as you know, messy as they are, if you have a losing record in the division, it's it's hard to imagine finishing in first place. And so um, it's it's another feels like another must win game. It feels like another turning point for this season. But it honestly, every week kind of feels like that anymore. Yeah, you're 100 percent right. You look at, you know, these next two games, right? The Jaguars on Sunday and then next Sunday you go on the road at Tennessee. Like you said, you're not winning this division, even for how bad it is with a losing record. And it's just imperative to where these next two games, especially if you include the, the Titans game in this as well is going to determine whether Colts are truly, you know, contenders for the division. Or like I said, we're going to turn into a college football podcast because we'll still be soon uh, scouting, whether it's CJ Stroud, Bryce Young, and start scouting some college quarterbacks. So a big one, to say the least here, as the Jaguars do come to ending, we will have Marcel Robinson of the Jagsaw podcast to join us back in week two. He will hop aboard to kind of preview this game and talk about the Jaguars, where weirdly enough to say, George, they're coming off a bad loss. The first thing you really say that the Jaguars suffered a bad loss in a few years. That's what happened when they lost at home to the Texans uh, last Sunday. So again, the division just continues to make no sense whatsoever. Me and George will try to get our second pick of the year, right? The only one we've gotten so far was week two. This Jaguars game, we both predicted the Jags would win. That's the only one we have gotten right so far. So maybe we'll see if we can get this one right here in week number six. But George, I mean, as you know, there's really nowhere else we could start the pod without talking about the offensive line. So I want to ask you this question because you just highlighted the importance of this game for the Colts in needing it and needing to win to have a chance at the division. What would you rather have happen if I give you two options here for how Sunday plays out? Would you rather, A, win the game, beat the Jaguars, but the offensive line basically continues their poor play, and it's almost a repeat of last Thursday in Denver where the offensive line just got worked, and the Colts are lucky to come out with a win. Would you rather have that scenario for the Colts on Sunday, or B, would you rather the Colts' offensive line take a dramatic shift forward, finally for the first time this season, actually play like, the offensive line like they're capable of playing and like they're getting paid to play, but the Colts lose the game, 
you know, whether it's the defense or, you know, whether it's Matt Ryan, you could say however they lose, but the offensive line takes a big step and you start to feel good about it, but they lose the game. Which, which scenario, A, there, win, bad offensive line, or B, lost, but good offensive line, which one do you think is, would you rather take if you are the Colts here on Sunday? I mean, B would obviously give you a much better feeling about the season moving forward because you need to see that at some point. You need to see this offensive line look like a, a viable unit so that you have any optimism, any hope, you know, for the for the following week. But I think they're in such a must-win situation this year, this week, that I, I don't, even if it's twelve to nine again, I, they they need it. They, however it comes, I think they've got to find a way to win this game. You know, and I think it's, in, it's interesting to me is. In the years past, you've always talked about, well, Jacksonville's going to try to drag the game down into the mud. That's kind of what they've done, you know, slow the game down, make it ugly, and then hope something goes their way. Now I think it's probably the Colts trying to do that. They're the ones yeah. that maybe don't have the firepower on, you know, to match up with with Jacksonville. The Colts are the ones that need to ugly it up and, and find a way to, to win no matter what. But uh, obviously the offensive line needs to take step forward. That's the most important element for this team. Uh, but I think on Sunday – they just, you know, it's it's Al Davis. Just win, baby. Just win, baby. The Colts did that on Thursday for sure. I will go B. I will sacrifice the win to see some offensive line growth, and here's why. I'm already, like, we've talked about this before. The, the Colts, in terms of actually contending for a, a championship this year, they, have long, they are long on that. That horse is long left the stable. So, sure, you can win the division, get a home playoff game, but realistically, this team is nowhere near playoff caliber. But when you start to look at the future, and you, you mentioned before too, even just turning this season around, let alone now starting to look at the next few years, this Colts team is not going to be anywhere near Super Bowl contention if this offensive line continues to struggle the way they have, forget just this year, in the next few years. We assume and we think the Colts are finally this offseason going to pull the trigger on a quarterback. Well, one way to help make that quarterback transition, whoever it is, easier and help them you know, become successful early, kind of like what we saw from Andrew Luck, is having an offensive line that can keep them upright. You know, there's... Andrew Luck was once in a generation quarterback where he was able to survive an offensive, a horrible offensive line, some really bad, you know, skilled players outside of T.Y. Hilton and a, a bad GM. That there's no Andrew Luck in this upcoming draft that we believe. So you you need a competent offensive line to continue to block, and that is going to be the Colts' identity going forward. You paid Quentin Nelson, you pay, you paid Braden Smith, you paid Ryan Kelly. Those are still your rocks, your guys. You need at least those three to figure it out. And I would take out sacrifice this year. I would sacrifice a win this week to get some confidence back for this group because this goes just for, you know, beyond this week and this year. Like, this is going to be a need for the Colts going forward. And I, I just, I will take it this way any momentum and, and any positivity you can get for this, this group because right now, through five games, it has been just demoralizing. And it's been so bad, George, even in last Thursday's win. No one is happy and excited because this offensive line looked somehow even worse than the other four weeks. It's like Groundhog Day right now. I mean, you, you yes. come out every week and, and you see an offensive Holy line that's getting your quarterback killed. And first and foremost, Matt Ryan's not going to survive the season at this rate. There's no way your 37-year-old quarterback's going to be upright in week 18 if this continues. Um, you know, that that's one thing that, that that's coming, no doubt about it. Uh, but the run game has been, you know, I, I thought it took a little bit of a step forward on Thursday night. Uh, it would have been really interesting to see Rob, Jonathan Taylor out there because it felt like maybe a game that he could have broke out in. I think Deion Jackson did a really good job. He got a game ball. Saw that in his locker today. Um, deserved game ball. He, he really yes. came through big at the end of that game for him. Uh, but it still was, I think, 4.1 yards per carry. So it still wasn't 
a dominant performance. It just was the kind of step forward that you need to see now. But that came at the cost of six sacks. Like they can't get it together at the same time. It seems like if they run the ball halfway decent, then Matt Ryan's a pinata. And if they protect him a little bit better, which has been like a three sack game, which is, you know, kind of, (laughs) but uh, then they can't run the ball. So you can't, obviously can't function as an offense that way. And, and I think that's, that's why I can't argue with your B, you know, I'm still at that point where I think they need to win no matter what, but this offensive line needs to show some signs of life because until that happens, it's going to be really hard to feel like you're optimistic going into any week for this team. And you know, it's really frustrating too, George, about their struggles this season. It's not just the fact that they've gotten paid. It's also too, when you look at Chris Ballard, this year, I think specifically, this is the first time in a long time where you can say that he has not walked the walk or his his you know actions have not backed up his talk because he has been consistent since he got to Indy from day one. He is going to build the Colts from the inside out. He wants to win in the trenches, offensive line, defensive line. And then as we know, he was kind of taking his time with the quarterback. He wants to make sure everything else is in place and then get the quarterback. And... To his credit on the defensive line, we have seen him invest resources, whether it's trading for DeForest Buckner, whether it's signing guys in free agency like Unique Ngakwe, whether it's drafting guys like Quiddy Pay and Dio Adengbo. He has put resources into the defensive line and all different areas to get this team and get this unit as great as they possibly can be. And then you look at this offseason, how he really thought the band-aid of Matt Pryor and Danny Pinter were basically going to stop the bleeding on bullet holes is ridiculous. And it's like the the one area he kept preaching and, oh, we're not going to get quarterback yet because we want to invest our resources in the trenches. And again, you paid three guys, you you, you know, you drafted, you, you paid them, you developed them. Okay. But again, you have two dramatic uh, weaknesses on your offense line out of five. And you let, you know, guys like Mark Lewinsky walk without really even, you know, thinking that this was going to be, you know, a, a big loss. You let even a, a good backup and Chris Reed walk out the door as well. And it's like, yeah, half-ass or even flat out ignore the offensive line after putting all this time and resources in the defensive line and also having years on years on years of preaching, winning the trenches, winning the trenches, winning the trenches, and then he flat out basically ignored the offensive line this offseason. Yeah, there was a lot of faith put in Matt Pryor, which really didn't make a lot of sense to me. He hadn't done it uh, at this level, you know, and I thought maybe he'd be good enough. I I think I talked myself into the offseason of saying, well, Eric Fisher was so bad at left tackle last year that you really didn't need a, a massive upgrade to, to make that work. And I think maybe that's what Ballard was thinking too. But like you said, it, it still goes against everything that he said. The whole left tackle situation has been interesting to me because um, I remember him talking about before Anthony Costanzo retired that, that you want to go get the offensive line replacement the year before you need him mm-hmm. so that you're not kind of filling in. And they had that sort of, warning with with Costanzo you know he he almost retired the year before he did retire so I thought you had some time then they didn't do anything in that offseason and then obviously the offseason he did retire you did do anything you wait and you sign Eric Fisher and then this offseason you let Fisher walk and, and you literally do nothing at that position until the third round of the draft and look maybe Bernard Ryman's going to end up being that guy I don't know it's too soon uh it would buck the odds of, of NFL history that, that you found your franchise left tackle in the third round, but it's possible. Um, and I think he's a guy, there's there's reasons he was there. I mean, his age is part of it. He's already 25. Uh, the fact that he had played the position only two years, you know, there are reasons that pushed him down there that, that 
don't have to do with necessarily his talent. I think you see, you see potential in him, certainly more potential than you see with Matt Pryor. And I think it's the right call to go with him for the time being on the left side. But to me, it's, you know, people focus on the quarterback spot with good reason. Um, but I think there's been more negligence at left tackle in my mind than, than there has been a quarterback. That's a you're hundred percent right. That's a fair point, and I'm glad you brought the Costanzo warning because you're right. They had an indication of hey, this guy's teetering and could possibly leave, and you know should have served as a warning. To say all right, we got to take this seriously. Whether it's on the draft, whether it's trading for a young you know tackle, you had Orlando Brown a few years ago uh, on the Ravens. I was out there on the block, and the Chiefs made a move. The Colts didn't really seem interested whatsoever. So you are right about that, where they had opportunities and just never took it seriously. For, for whatever reason, Chris Bauer just did not act on it. And like you said, now you're sitting here with Bernard Raymond, who not only possibly could be your left tackle of the future, but also, too, you give him his first start on a short week where he still was not 100% healthy against a, a good Denver defensive line. Obviously, w- what a shock, George. It did not go well last uh, last Thursday in Denver. Four penalties in the first half. To his credit, he did settle down and play better in the second half. And like you mentioned before, he is going to start on Sunday left tackle. I think it's the right move for the Colts, and I think it's – now, at this point, how bad they've been, you just got to kind of suck it up and just hope that he develops over the season because right now he is your best bet at kind of long-term solving that, and you at least want to give him a chance to win the job this year and obviously going forward. But let me ask you this then, George. What do you do with the other four? Because we've not really heard what the Colts are going to do. Ryan Kelly, who did miss some of Thursday's game last week, uh, is back at practice. So if he's healthy, do you put him back at center? Do you take Danny Pinter out? Like We saw the big transformation we had. Raymond, Quinn Nelson at left guard, Ryan Kelly when he was healthy start. Then you had Danny Pinter sub in when he got hurt. Then you had Braden Smith at right guard and Matt Pryor right tackle. How would you kind of roll out here this offensive line for the Colts against the Jags on Sunday? Yeah, I would roll out the same offensive line, but I kind of fear that that's what they're going to do. Um, I just think that it, six sacks is, is not acceptable. And I, I don't think I, I know there's reasons for that. I know Denver's really good up front. Uh, so is Jacksonville with, with the the first four they don't have the depth but you know they've got some pretty good guys on the edge that can come and get you uh and will test your tackles to be certain um i i I personally i think that they want to stick with that interior it sounds like just from the way that they were talking you know they like the idea of having nelson kelly and smith in the middle there giving matt ryan that pocket theoretically where he can step up uh and and maybe you know maybe that gives you some some push in the running game as well uh, if they do that, I think it's time to try Dennis Kelly at right tackle. That that would be my feeling. I, I don't understand why he's not playing. He kind of expressed that himself on Twitter uh, with a response to a, to a tweet this week. I feel like Dennis Kelly is a guy who has done it in this league more than probably any of the other people that we're talking about switching in there. Uh, whether he's at right guard and Braden Smith's at right tackle or whether Smith's at right guard and Dennis Kelly's at right tackle, that would be the combination I would go with on the right side. I don't have any indication that's what they're doing, but that would be, you know, if they want my two cents, that would that would be my move. I like that a lot because Matt Pryor has played his way, bare minimum, out of the tackle job. Left tackle, right tackle, he is clearly showing you he has to be, and if he has to play, it needs to be on the interior. And like you mentioned, I get what Frank Reich and Chris Strasser were thinking last week, Warrior, you think, okay, we want to at least shore up the middle to where if there is going to be pressure, at least have it outside. And maybe whether it's Ryman and Pryor, they can just kind of drive them around Matt Ryan, but keep that interior pocket clean. And that's why you went Nelson, Kelly, and Braden Smith on the inside. But look, Braden Smith clearly is, is earned the right tackle job. He's played really well there. 
I like what you said, whether it's Dennis Kelly, right tackle, right guard. I think that's that has to be moved. That's made. You have enough time right now with with the with the, you know a regular week of practice to implement him playing. But that, or I would ask and see. I know he's coming off injury, so maybe a little tough. Ryan Kelly at guard. Would you consider it? Would you put him at right guard? You, you play Danny Pinter, and then you put you know Braden Smith back at right tackle. I think that has to be under consideration. I don't know how you know how realistic it is to be honest. But to your point, you, I think the one thing we are both in agreement when whoever you want to put out there, you, we've seen enough Matt Pryor. I'm sorry, we just we just can't do it anymore because whether wherever he plays, it's a turnstile, and you're like you mentioned, you're gonna get Matt Ryan killed. Yeah, that's the thing. Your quarterback's not gonna survive the year. Uh, and it's nothing personal against Matt Pryor. I think he did a good job for him a year ago. Um, he was like a solid guy, a solid depth piece, but you're, you're playing him out of position, and that's not helping anybody. When you're, when you're asking him to be a starter and to be a key part of your offensive line, you're asking him to do too much. To me, it's the same as you know we talked about uh, on the last pod, sending Kylan Granson in there to block Jeffrey Simmons. It's the same thing. If you're going to keep Matt Pryor out there on the edge, you're, you're asking him to do something that, that he's not able to do, and it's hurting the football team. So I we'll see what happens. It would not surprise me if they roll back that same line or if maybe we see the re- return of Will Fries at right guard. Um, to me, we talked about it uh, on, on the quarter, you know, the grade pod that we did, the, the, the quarter poll pod. You've got to keep tinkering until you take a step forward. I would not stop tinkering on this line until you feel like, okay, that game, was an improvement. You know, Matt Ryan didn't die. The running game improved. We can build on this. That would be me. And to your point too, I think right now, especially when you look at this team and they're going to at least for the, I think the, the, the long-term makes sense to put Ryman at left tackle. You, you, they, they've been steadfast and not moving Quentin Nelson to tackle. So, okay, fine. You look at the offensive line going forward. It has to be then Ryman at left tackle, Nelson at guard. And like you said, the other three positions, center, right guard, right tackle, it has to be just an open door. Like no one has earned the right so far through five games. Say, oh, I deserve to play. I deserve to start because everyone's play has been poor. And you're right. You owe it to the fans. You owe it to the rest of the team. You owe it to Matt Ryan and his, his health to basically say, we are going to continue to switch. We're going to continue to figure out who can play where because right now nothing's working. And like you mentioned before, we you said the line on Tuesday. We'll repeat it here. I think it's worth saying. If you just continue to run the same old, same old out there, it's a definition of insanity. You can't keep thinking, oh, we're going to put the same five guys out there and expecting different results. We've seen enough. You have to change it. Like I said, until you find that five that works, that gels, that's able to run block and pass block and communicate and do it all in the same game and do it well, you got to keep moving pieces around it until you find that five that actually works. And so far, that there's been some tinkering, George, and nothing's been working really um, at this point. No, you know, the major tinkering last week. And, and I can... I can understand a little bit the impulse to run that back because it wasn't, you know, they didn't practice. You had two walkthroughs before that. So, um, but I just don't, my biggest issue with that isn't so much the idea of, well, give them another shot because they didn't get a real look because of the way things went that week. It's more just the idea that Matt Pryor shouldn't be a tackle anymore. I mean, our producer, Bill, pointing out his final two years at TCU, 21 starts at guard, just six starts at right tackle. You know, I, when he came over from Philadelphia, I think that the the knock on him was he's not going to be good on the edge. You know, when the, when they got him and, and they picked him up, that was the talk. And I think last year, maybe they got lucky that he that he played as well as he did over on the right side uh, for as long as he had to with Braden Smith out. 
But I think Mike Chappell has been covering the Colts literally since they moved to Indianapolis. And he says something every year, and it's so true. Says these backups, you know, the longer they play, the more you realize why they weren't starters. It's mm-hmm. just traditionally the way it goes. And I think we've reached that point with Matt Pryor. My problem with running the lineback isn't that I don't think that this line deserves another shot in terms of them having kind of a rough assignment last week. My problem right now is I don't think Matt Pryor should be on the edge anymore. You're you're hundred percent right too. It goes back to putting players in positions to succeed, right? Like just it, it's you have to. It's not only the player that's not playing well. You have to also give them a chance to play well. And like you mentioned, and like our producer Bill just mentioned, so you're you're going to put a guy, Matt Pryor, who has never even played left tackle in college, then who has barely played a little bit in Philadelphia, and mostly played right guard, uh, right tackle last year in a very limited role in a backup role. And okay, fine, he played well in spot starts. And now you're going to ask him going into this year to be your full time left tackle. At a position he's never really played or, or and like you mentioned, have really success at. And then they oh, okay, left tackle's not working. Let's try right tackle, a position he had again, very little experience with in college, very little experience within the NFL. And as we saw uh, on Thursday, oh wow, he, he changed positions, but the the uh the, the, the outcome, the result didn't change whatsoever. Right or left, again, when you can't block him and you're getting continuously beat by speed, it doesn't really matter what side you're on. You're not gonna be very good. And like you mentioned, Mike's 100% right. It's You're getting exposed. Like You are seeing now why Matt Pryor is a really good sixth offensive lineman. You need a pinch. You want to bring a sixth offensive lineman in for some formations. You need a, you know, a guy gets hurt in-game or you need a spot start here. Fine. You could do a lot worse than Matt Pryor. Expecting him to be your starter and a competent starter at either tackle position for a full 17-game slate – it's almost like you're not even giving him a chance. Like, like I said, it's not like even it's on Matt Pryor per se. It's also on the Colts and Chris Ballard and Frank Reich for thinking, yeah, that's going to work. Yeah, that's unrealistic. And you're now you're it's, reaping the benefits. At some point, you, you've got to put the guys in the right places. And to me, Dennis Kelly's done it in this league. Like, I really, it's confounding to me. Just as we were talking about when Isaiah Rodgers wasn't getting any snaps at corner and he just doesn't make any sense. I don't understand why Dennis Kelly hasn't been looked at as a, as a potential solution here. I know he missed a lot of training camp. So that gets early part of the year, I understand. But, you know, we're five weeks in now. You're going into week six. This is a guy who's played at a high level and played, as they like to say, winning football in this league. He's even got a history, a brief history, but he was with Frank Reich for a minute in Philadelphia. So um, that, to me, is a mystery. I think Ryan, I think Dennis Kelly deserves to be somewhere on the line. Give him a shot. At least he's done it before. Can't be any worse, George. Can't be any worse. Because also, too, this Colts have his line. We've talked about not giving Matt Ryan time and not opening up any holes in the run game. A big issue, too, that this Colts tough line is strictly, you know, uh, responsible for is that this third down offense for the Colts is horrendous. And it's in large part because on first and second down, they're not doing jack. Whether it's running the ball, whether it's throwing the ball, this offense has become very predictable. And we've talked about it on the pod a few weeks ago. And I still stand by, even with Jonathan Taylor, this Colts offensive line right now cannot run block. I would abandon the run. Because what happens is on first down and 10, if like even Frank Reich's got predictable too, you run the ball. Then it's okay. If it's not a two-yard loss, it's like a one or two-yard gain. And you're sitting there at second and eight. The defense knows you're going to pass the ball. Incomplete. Matt Ryan gets, you know, if he holds on to the ball, it's pressure in the face. And now you're looking at a third and long. Um, the Athletic had this stat. And it, it's just, it, it highlights and underscores why this Colts offense has been so anemic and, and why they've, be- forget about scoring points, why they've barely been able to put just two first downs together. The Colts have faced 69 so far third downs this season. 
33 out of the 69 have been third and long. Third and seven or longer. That's 40%. So basically, half the time the Colts get to third down, they're third and long, and that's you know tough enough as it is to convert. You're not getting many first downs when you're constantly facing third and eight, third and ten, third and thirteen, because you can't open up any run lane, uh, running lanes to get the you know Jonathan Taylor going, and you can't get Matt Ryan time to throw the ball. It's absurd, and this is why again the Colts are dead last in scoring offense. And then you throw in the penalties. I mean, the holding, yes. and the false starts, and all, and all the other things. So uh, when you're already kind of putting yourself in that bad position, and then you get a holding penalty, now it's third and sixteen, and you might as well just punt. You know, I mean, the the way that they've been doing things, it's not working. I definitely think they have to start going to more the Doug Peterson mode of pass to set up the run. You know, I think that's it's where they need to be right now. They've done, um, they've shown that they can move the ball through the air. Um, maybe not as consistently as you would like, but you've seen it. I mean, the passing game's not been anemic. Uh, it's yeah. had problems with turnovers and it's had problems with sacks, but the yards are there. We've talked about some of the young receivers have started to step up. The tight ends have started to step up. I think, you know, you kind of said this off the air, but I, this feels like one of those games where Frank Reich needs to come out and scheme something up. He needs to find a way to to beat this Jacksonville team uh, with the struggles that, that, that the Colts have had on offense. And, you know, it's hard to do because I don't know what play you call that works when your line doesn't block. Anybody finds that, let me know. I think it would be a terrific, <laughs> terrific thing for a lot of coaches out there. Um, but there's there are other things you can do, and I think part of that, like you said, is throwing the ball more on early downs, just trying to stay out of third and seven. Um, you know, maybe if you get into third and two a little more often, you're going to have more success. And it's it's the same way as the offensive line to me. What's it What's it going to hurt? You're the lowest scoring offense in the league right now. Even if it doesn't work, what you've been doing isn't working either. So, I, you know, to me, it's it's one of these situations of why not? We'll get to Marcel Robinson here in a second, kind of get a little behind any lines view of the Jags. But I'm glad you brought that up, George, and that's a perfect way, I think, to finish. You're right. Like, for all the struggles that Matt Ryan has had and the offensive line has had, you are 100% right. Frank Reich was hired, helped, you know, get a lot of fame in Philly and has been a, a good Colts coach over the last five years in a large part for his scheming and play calling. I think he's still one of the best in terms of play calling, right time, right place. And he's been able to, to scheme up plays for the quarterback, for the running backs, for the receivers to get open, and defense have a tough time adjusting to. Like you mentioned, it's tough right now to call a run play when all five guys are getting blown off the line of scrimmage. I get it. But this has to be a week where Frank Reich dives deep. And whether it's, like you said, changing everything where now you're not as predictable, which they have to change, whether it's passing first down, second down, and, and maybe even third down to kind of get something going, whether it's now trying to utilize Jonathan Taylor more on sweeps, more out of the back, but just passing the ball, saying, all right, we can't run the ball. We're going to try more screens, more underneath routes, splitting him out as a slot receiver. You have to kind of really go deep into your bag here for your Frank Reich and scheme up an offensive game plan for this weekend that really almost kind of does your best. So, you know what? We can't block. Screw it. It doesn't matter. We're still going to try to find a way because, as we know, we saw it in week two. This Jaguars offensive line is dominant. And they are going to continue, I'm sure, to take it to this Colts starting five, whatever it's going to be uh, on Sunday. So that is, I think you have to absolutely assume that. But you're right. This has to be a game where Frank Reich kind of says, damn the torpedoes. We are going to find a way. And, and even with how dominant the Jags defensive line has been, even with how anemic the Colts offensive line has been, we are still going to find a way for the first time this season to kind of look competent in offense. And you're, that's it. Has to be a Frank Reich game here because they say we, we can beat the drum we have by the offensive line. They have to play better. This has to be a game where Frank really 
puts his guys in positions to succeed and makes the game plan for Matt Ryan easy and almost should maybe simplify things. Uh, something has to change, but you're right, George. It has to be on Frank Reich. Yep. Yep. I think it's a Frank Reich week, so we'll see how that goes. Has to be a Frank Reich week for sure. Uh, so when we return, speaking of which, we'll get an inside view on the um, on the Jaguars. Marcel Robinson will kind of hop aboard because the Jaguars are coming off a bad loss to the Texans. And their run defense got a little gashed uh, on Sundays. Damon Pierce went for basically 100 yards and a touchdown. Can the Colts finally, George, establish the run game for the second time this season? We'll get Marcel's take when the Blue Horseshoe Pod does return. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, Colts fans, time to go behind enemy lines with a very familiar voice, Marcel Robinson of the Jagsaw podcast, the first recurring guest of the Blue Horseshoe pod. So first of all, Marcel, welcome back. Appreciate you coming on back. And I'll be honest, myself and George are both, at least I'll speak for myself. I was apprehensive about asking you to come back on the pod. I'm a little superstitious. We know the last time we had John, it was just an absolute drubbing. Jag just took the Colts to the woodshed 24 nothing in week number two. But George made a great point. We can't even blame Marcel for that loss because that game for the Jaguars was a free space. You know, it's like water is wet, the Pope is Catholic, and the Jaguars beat the Colts in Jacksonville every single time. So we thought, you know what, it's nothing to do with Marcel. we got to bring him back on here. So thanks so much for uh, for joining us again here. Absolutely. It's, it's my pleasure, you guys. We hope, Hopefully, um, for the Jaguars' sake, that, that after this podcast, we can finally get another win because uh, it's, it's, it's tough sledding down here in Jacksonville these days. <laughs> That's where I want to start, Marcel. It's, it's a weird question to ask. I feel like I haven't asked this to like anyone with the Jaguars in like five years. But coming off that loss to the Texans, this feels like the first time in a long time you could say the, the Jaguars lost a game in which they should have won. What's kind of the mood around the team so far this week? Is there kind of a, a disappointment or a hangover so far coming off of that ugly loss to the Texans? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, it doesn't seem that way just because, you know, these guys are professionals. So the, the whole mindset of, you know, it's one game, put in the rearview mirror and and get on to the next week because, you know, you have to focus on the next opponent, not your last opponent. Um, but I think there's definitely some disappointment there just because, I mean, like you said, this is a game that for the first time in a long time, the Jaguars were supposed to win. You know, this is one of the first losses that the Jaguars have had that is a disappointing loss. You know, um, and just because the Texas team and even myself included, you know, I, across the board, if you if you compare these two rosters um, and even the coaching staff, it's just the Jaguars check the boxes as the better, you know, team in every single statistical category and every single, you know, roster spot against the Texans. And to lose a game like that, especially to go out there and only score six points after you, you're coming off losing to, you know, the only undefeated team in the NFL and the Philadelphia Eagles and still playing tough and only losing by eight points despite having all those turnovers. You know, the vibe was still pretty high, but after going out there and losing to the Texans for the, the ninth straight time in a row, um, it's just, you know, post-game in that locker room, it was just, you know, a bad scene. Everybody was angry and disappointed, you know, as they should be because that's, you know, um, you know, that 
if you want to be a good team, as everyone has said the Jaguars are, and themselves included, those are the games that you have to win. And so it's it's kind of like a back to the drawing board. And, you know, they won't say it, but there's definitely a little bit more pressure to win this game, not just because it's a divisional game against the Colts, but also because you don't want to lose 3-0. and Good teams don't lose um, three games in a row. Marcel, uh, you kind of alluded to it a little bit, but, you know, the Jaguars have been moving the ball still really well. I think the offense has, has been put up yards. Turnovers of late have really hurt this team. Is it more a self-inflicted wound, or is it more things that the defenses are doing to kind of cause those takeaways? You know, it's tough to say. If from the outside looking in, you know, from my vantage point, I would say they're self-inflicted simply because you know I've seen what this team can do. Right, I've seen them in all of their games. I've seen all their practices. I've seen them in training camp. So knowing what they're capable of doing is something that I would say that I'm pretty familiar with. Now, anytime in the NFL, you have to credit the other team. You know, they get paid too. You know, to play football, and you, know, you got to credit the Texans for what they did. But truthfully. In that game versus the Texans, they didn't really do anything spectacular. You know, uh, Lovey Smith coach uh, team is you know, they're very disciplined. They essentially, you know, to adopt to take a turn from soccer, they pretty much just parked the bus. You know, they played very conservative football and said, "Look, we're going to take what they give us. We're just not going to make any mistake, any mistakes. We're going to wait for them to make one." And the Jaguars made all the mistakes. You know, this this is an offense that had been clicking and on all cylinders for you know all season long, essentially, and then to go out there and just sputter. You know, a lot of them definitely are self-inflicted wounds. Um, you know, the lack of running game for sure is a problem. And, you know, it all comes back to the quarterback. You know, Trevor Lawrence has not been playing good football over these past few weeks. You know, we look at, you know, the Philly game and, and all the fumbles that he had. And, of course, a lot of that's attributed to the weather and other conditions. But, you know, some of the mistakes he's been making, some of the missed throws and the misreads that he's been having, it's just simply him, you know, you know just not playing well. You know, we had, you know, down on the goal line, you're in the red zone. You can't throw an interception when you have the ability to either check it down or, or walk, you know, for the first time, live to fight another day. And that's something that he talked about, you know, this week. It's just, you know, you've got to learn how to, you know, every play doesn't have to be the great play. Like, you're a good player, you're a great player, you make the great play, but you got to know how to just to take what the defense gives you and make the, the right play. And I think, you know, it all comes back to that. And look, I mean, it's the NFL. When the quarterback plays great, you win a lot of football games. When the quarterback does not play great, you lose football games. That's just how it goes. You just kind of mentioned, too, Marcel, about the turnovers and Trevor Lawrence, you know, having some issues, especially recently, um, with keeping the ball secure. You know, we saw the first time these two teams met up back in week two, just one game under Doug Peterson. So it's still a very limited sample size of what Trevor Lawrence was with, let's say, a competent head coach for the first time in his career. Now five games so far under his belt. How would you characterize, you know, year two so far for Trevor Lawrence? I think it's still a learning process. I mean, because of last year, I, I'm not one to say that you know last year was a throwaway because of just all the turmoil that was going on here. And trust me, there was definitely a lot to be, you know, your welcome to the NFL is not supposed to be that, you know, on and off the That's field. That's for but, sure. <laughs> um, but I think in year two, obviously with Doug Peterson, like, we, we have to remember Trevor Lawrence is still a young guy. I think we're kind of spoiled when we see guys like, you know, Patrick Mahomes and Josh mm-hmm. Allen. They come in here and that – that pivotal year two is what they call him. You know, in, in year two, you know, Patrick Mahomes, Super Bowl. You know, Josh Allen looks like he's, you know, well on his way to getting one himself. And I think that just we we sort of have to understand that this is still all new for Trevor. He's learning new things. And I think he's still seeing some things that he's probably never seen before. Um, and just kind of learning how to, how to be a quarterback in the NFL. You know, when he was at Clemson, when he was at Cartersville High School, he's always been just great. Like, he, he, there's been very little adversity. You know, in terms of on the field. So, you know, I would characterize it as a, a work in progress. You know, I think it's still important that 
that we have to realize to be patient with him. You know, this is a new system from him, new new offensive coordinator, coaches, and everything. But I think in Jacksonville, it's just because of the way it's been for so long, the whole be patient mantra doesn't sit well just because we've been patient. We've been waiting. And, you know, so every mistake and every, you know, what looks like a setback is sort of magnified. Um, but I, I still think that Trevor and Doug is still a good combination. Um, and I still think it'll work. It's just a matter of, you know, working out the kinks and getting this thing rolling. You mentioned the the run game earlier and the struggles that, that have happened there. Uh, if there was one kind of knock on Doug Peterson in Philadelphia is that sometimes he gives up on that run game a little too soon. You've obviously got good backs there in Jacksonville. Is it is it been more play calling right now, or is there a problem with the offensive line? What, what do you think the biggest issue is in the run game right now? I mean, the run game, I think it might be a combination of both. I mean, the offensive line has, has been playing pretty well if you've taken you know, the entire body of work of the season. You know, last week wasn't very great. You know, obviously, you know, it's been kind of documented over the past week or so that you know, the run game just hasn't been, been there. It just hasn't been what it was. We go back to the Chargers game, you know, and everything was working. But since then, you know, between Philly and the Texans game, the running game just hasn't been working. You know, part of that, I think, is I don't necessarily think it's a bad play calling situation just because you know, Doug Peterson came out weeks ago and he said you, you pass to win the game. Um, and and you you run run to keep the game. Obviously, you know you pass. You, he's a throw first guy, you know, and it's kind of a little different than what some coaches may do. But you know, and obviously with this two back set, me personally, I think the run game has been the play calls haven't been bad, but I think it's really tough when you have two guys who are very different, um, and you're kind of subbing them in and out. They're they're complementary backs, but they're different. And I feel like the running game in terms of football, it's a rhythmic type of position you know so if you got guys coming in and out a couple plays here a couple plays there it's kind of tough to get a rhythm you know the best running game we've seen was the charges and and they they basically rode james robinson he was a hot hand they kept feeding him um but i think both running backs have been doing well i mean travis Etienne, you know this is still technically his rookie year because he missed all of last year and with james robinson you know what you're going to get out of james so I think it definitely is a matter of the offensive line needing to play well. It's going to be kind of tough because they just lost Ben Barch for the season. They're starting left guard. So we're kind of plugging in a guy who's played a lot of football, but, you know, the, the offensive line is just one big unit. So in terms of figuring out what the problem is, I think it's just a matter of execution. You, know, you just got to go out here and play, play, play the right ball, make the right reads and hit the right holes and, you know, just kind of get that rhythm going because, I mean, that's – for me, I've always seen the running back position as is a rhythmic type of position. If you can't get a rhythm going, then you know you just you don't. It's interesting too, because now, like you see, you see almost every team adopting two, three running back sets and kind of always rotating. Out. You rarely ever see a bell cow back like a Derrick Henry kind of offense or runner for sure. Speaking of, of the run game, Marcel, last week especially, not that the Jaguars had a lot of you know explosive plays, but the few they had, most of them came from Travis Etienne either in the pass game or the run game. If you're Gus Bradley and this Colts defense kind of starting a game plan for how to slow down this Jaguars offense this Sunday, is the guy you circle to kind of take away and stop the most, Travis Etienne? I think if you have to pick one, I think Travis is probably the guy, not just really for the main reason, it's just because he's probably, between the two, him and James Robinson, he's probably the guy that's that's the you're more afraid of to be that potential home run hitter. You know, we saw last week versus the Texans that there was, he was, one shoestring tackle away from going 94 yards. You know, that mm-hmm. that tackle ended up being just, you know, a, a moderate 10 to 15. So I think if you're talking about who you're more afraid of, probably Travis Etienne for that reason. But, you know, I think James Robinson has done enough in this league to prove that if you 
de- you discount him or you you know don't worry about him, he'll make you pay. So I, I think if you're if you're looking to find one which of those guys to quote unquote game plan against, Travis is probably the guy. But I think you need to be worried about both. I mean, both of these guys have the potential to be able to really get off and get going and, and hurt some defenses. What about receiver? Like, would you include ETN like as the number one guy, including receivers like Christian Kirk and tight ends like Evan Ingram? Like, oh, in the overall offense, not just running backs. Um, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say so. I think Travis has the potential to be out there just because of his skill set. But if you're talking wide receivers, you're still talking about the guys that are listed at wide receiver. That being um, Christian Kirk, Marvin Jones, Zay Jones, and of course uh, throwing the tight end Evan Ingram in there, just because they the, Trevor has shown that he likes these guys. You know, he's got you know he he loves Marvin Jones. He's Marvin Jones was here last year. They built that rapport. Christian Kirk, obviously the big free agent guy who who you're expecting to be your number one wide receiver. Um, you know, I'll give you one, Zay Jones. Zay Jones is undefeated at the line of scrimmage. I have not seen one DB, you know, stop him from getting off the line of scrimmage. You know, he's he is definitely a, a home run hitter, a big play waiting to happen. Of course, him and Trevor's connection hasn't really been that great since he got hurt before the Philly game. But you know, I think all of these guys, man, they, they, and that's that's the thing that's the, the 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 mystery around here is because because we look at these weapons. You know, if you're just looking at wide receivers by names you know these guys probably won't top your list but if you're looking overall you're talking about the entire wide receiver core including tight ends they have a pretty solid group but they just haven't been able to get going you know and and i think a game like this or a game you know especially divisional game is one where i think they would like to to change that but if you're talking about targeting wide receivers and forgotten who to game plan for you know good luck because they, they do have a lot of guys that have made a lot of plays and are looking to make more is this is there a sense at all down there that this could be a get right game for Trevor Lawrence? I mean, you look at his history here, the three times he's played the Colts, two and one, and his numbers have been pretty good in, in each of those games. Is there confidence that this is a game he can get back on track? I think there's always that confidence. Um, so I would say yes. I mean, I think that we, we thought that about the Houston Houston game. They're coming off that game against Philly. We thought that Trevor and the offense could go out there against a, you know, a what looked like appeared to be a weaker Houston Texans team. You know, that appeared to be a get right game for the entire team just because, you know, we just think that Jacksonville's a better team than them. You know, obviously Houston won the game, so they were the better team on Sunday. But yeah, coming into this game, absolutely, I think there's some confidence that, you know, this could be a, a get right game, not just for Trevor, but you know, both sides of the ball, offense and defense. Um, and of course, everything goes back to the quarterback because this is the NFL. So you know, this is a game where you got to be careful not to press because of that. There's a lot riding on this game. You know, they won't say it. Um, of course, us in the media will say this is a must win for the Jaguars, you know, for so many reasons. One for, you know, you, Trevor's got to get back on track. You know, you can't have three bad games in a row because then you start, you know, everything starts to kind of creep in and have that trickle down effect. This is also a divisional game. You can't lose another divisional game to get knocked back in the divisional stand. These games kind of count for two. Um, and then the lastly is just, you want to say you're a good team and you think you have all the pieces and the makings of, of a good team. You can't lose three games in a row. So, I mean, for, for me, if you ask me, I'd say it's a must-win game, not for the totality of the entire season, but, you know, losing this game or performing, you know, bad in this game could be the beginnings of a trickle-down effect that is very negative, you know, for this team. On the other side of the ball, Marcel, we saw in week two, this Jaguars defense just totally dominated the Colts offense. Matt Ryan, three interceptions. You had zero points scored. This Colts offense is literally points per game, the worst in the NFL. This is a tough question, but I'll, I'll try to ask it anyway. Maybe we try to get an answer. Is there one area 
that you are kind of concerned about or one possible error this Colts offense could exploit on the Jags defense or just all three levels are pretty sound in your mind? Uh, I think the the one place where I think that they if there's a a spot for any to exploit it's the it's in the run game it's up front you know the the it's no secret that the Jaguars as a team depth is not a strong suit and you know for the first few weeks of the season we had no guys really no big injuries you know got no guys with an injury report for you know a couple of weeks and now we've got some pretty significant injuries not not necessarily guys that don't miss time but you know you got a guy like Foley Foxy the defensive tackle in the middle big run stuffing kind of guy you know when he wasn't in the game it was noticeable you know when he is not playing in the game we can tell because the run game for opposing teams are you know looking pretty, to be pretty successful you got a guy in Damian Pierce. He went for 99 yards last week uh, against the Jaguars, but it felt like 150, you know, just because of how successful you know he was. And I think you throw in a guy, not just him, Devon Hamilton. These are two big run stuffing guys in the middle who suffered injuries versus Philly and are still kind of working themselves back. And then you pop up a couple of linebackers on the injury report for the Jags too. So I think it's the run game. You know, everybody, everyone else is is healthy for the most part. You know, the passing game I think is what it is. Um, obviously, you know, you can never discount a guy like Matt Ryan, even regardless of the struggles, you can never discount a guy like that just because of what he's done. But if, if there's definitely because in, in the defense, this defense is built to stop the run. And if they don't stop the run, we see what we've seen in the past couple of weeks. And so I think this is a game where the Jaguars run defense is going to be of, of high importance. But I think because of the injuries and guys being nicked up, that's a position, a spot where the Colts might be able to exploit some things, which obviously would bode well in their favor. Is the defensive injuries, this last one for me, by the way, uh, is the defensive injuries, is that where you put your finger on right now? I mean, you go back to those week two and week three, you beat the Colts 24 to nothing. You go out to, to the Chargers and you win 38 to 10. Are the defensive injuries the biggest difference between now and then, or is there some other things that are going on that, that maybe were going right then that, that aren't now? I think that may be part of it. You know, I've always been one of those guys, and this goes back to my playing football days, is I, I would never blame injuries on, you know, lack of success or performance just simply because, you know, it's a next man up mentality. You know, obviously, when you don't have premier guys in the depth position, you know, you struggle a little bit. But, you know, I think even the guys that they, they plug in, they're, they're good enough to be able to hold the fort down. You know, I, I don't think that if – I don't think missing Foley, Fautukasi, or Devon Hamilton should result in, you know, 150 yards rushing for a running back. You know, I think if we're talking about what the biggest issue is, truthfully, is that the defense is on the field all the time. You know, you look at the Philly game, the offense kept turning the ball over. And, you know, the defense, they come off the field, you know, they get a three uh, three and out stop or they get a stop, big stop on third down, but they're right back on the field in four or five plays. You know, that's demoralizing. You know, they, they won't necessarily say it, but you know, that's tough. <laughs> you know, in the Philly game, you know, the Philly time of possession, they had the, the ratio is two to one. You know, you're on the field all the time and bad field position. You're you're not really being put in a position to succeed. And sometimes it's a lot to overcome, especially when you're playing offenses that are moving the ball. And you know, I wouldn't necessarily say it's fatigue, but all of that stuff, man, the best the best defense is the one that keeps the offense that keeps, you know, uh, them off the field. But they've just been on the field so much. And I think it's, it's just a little bit of a trickle down just because when the offense is, isn't performing well, you know, the defense starts to press a little bit. It's like, okay, well, the offense isn't, you know, putting any posts on the board. So we got to make a play. We got to make a play. And you start to see a little bit of pressing. Some guys playing a little bit out of position or out of their, you know, assignments. And that's when, you know, bad things happen. And I think that's – we saw that in the Philly game. We saw that versus, you know, Houston. Um, and I think that if that continues, we'll see that again this week up in Indianapolis. Let's then wrap up with this, Marcel. We know the Jaguars' dominance against Colts in Jacksonville. It's 
without, you know, it's been very well documented. But on the flip side, to the Colts' credit, they have been almost equally as dominant against the Jaguars at home. They're 8-2 and two in Indy the last 10 matchups. Uh, yeah. They play the Jags. So let's, let's, I guess I'll ask this question. I think, what do the Colts have to do to beat the Jags last time? So I'll ask you on the reverse, what do the Jaguars have to do on Sunday to beat the Colts? Trevor has to play better. Honestly, I mean, the, that's that's where it starts. You know, I think that with the, the plug and play of the offensive line, you know, the inconsistency there now because of some injuries, um, I think it just has it starts with him. You know, I, I think that, you know, as a, as the wide receivers, you know, it's their job to help pick him up when he's down. But, you know, we've seen some uncharacteristic drops from some of these guys last week um, in a bright and sunny day in Jacksonville. And, and, I, and I, these are routine catches that I've seen them make. They're tough catches, but, you know, these are NFL wide receivers, and I've seen them make even more difficult catches um, that turned out to be drops last week. But I think it just starts with Trevor. You know, if he, if he plays better than he's played in the last two weeks, then there's no limit to what this offense can do. We've seen it. We know what it is. And, and when he plays bad, you know, everything plays bad. It's the NFL that starts with the quarterback. So for the Jaguars to win this game, it's all about, you know, what they do uh, on offense. I think the defense is going to come out there. Do I think the defense is going to have a similar outing against, uh, the Colts offense, I think they can. I mean, I think it'd be tough to replicate that, but you know, the offense has got to play better. And it starts, you know, with number 16. Marcel, thanks much for giving us a, a few minutes here. Colts fans, you want to go even deeper behind enemy lines, make sure you check out the Jagsaw podcast. Marcel does a tremendous job hosting that. Enjoy Indy on Sunday. Enjoy the game. Thanks so much for giving us a few minutes and becoming the first recurring guest of the Blue Horseshoe Pod. Absolutely. Appreciate you having me, guys. I'm looking forward to an away game that is not cold and windy or wet. <laughs> <laughs>
this defensive line for the Jaguars because, like you said, this was the worst run defense in the NFL coming in in Tennessee uh, a few weeks ago. And the Colts averaged as a team 1.8 yards per carry. I think John Taylor style off the top of my head was like 20 carries for 42 yards, something like that. So it's like you couldn't even get the best running back in the NFL against the worst offensive, uh, worst defensive line in terms of stopping the run in the NFL. Couldn't get him going. Couldn't even have like an average day. I can't until I see it, George. I can't believe this offensive line is going to get anywhere near of a consistent push, uh, even though the Jags are do have injuries coming on in. It's a lost cause. I agree. I agree 100%. I've been saying all year, like, I'm not going to project this team to do anything. After week one, when, when we saw them struggle in Houston, I said, I'm not going to pick them in Jacksonville because until we see them turn things around, I'm not going to believe it. I'm at the same point with the offensive line right now. You know, until we see them go out there and do it on the field, I'm not going to project them to do it because I, I think that would just be insane on my part. And then finally, before we give our pick here, George, are you more concerned or encouraged about the defense going in? We saw them get shredded by Trevor Lawrence in this Jaguars offensive week two. Really, since then, outside of, again, one half, uh, the first half against Tennessee, they've been pretty much locked down. How do you feel about the defense kind of coming to this game uh, after getting shredded in week two? I feel like the defense is on the rise. You know, I, I still don't explain the first half against Tennessee. That That's, I don't know what happened there. But other than that, you know, the last three weeks, they looked really good. They, they played as well against Patrick Mahomes as anybody probably ever has. Uh, and then you come out and, and had a good game against a struggling Denver offense. But, you know, we, we, we act like that's nothing. But how many times have the Colts let struggling offenses come to life? And they didn't. They kept them down. They made them keep struggling. Uh, so I think this defense is, is heading in the right direction. I think some things are starting to click. I think Kenny Moore is starting to play more like Kenny Moore. Uh, I think the secondary in particular is coming together really well. If they can get another dominant uh, game up front, I think that's a big thing. You know, can they, can they get to Trevor Lawrence? It's the way they got to Russell Wilson, the way they got to, to Patrick Mahomes, and, and the way they got to Ryan Tannehill in the second half of that game. Uh, that's the key, I think, on defense. I'm with you. I, I think I'm buying it. Like for the Colts defense, for all the pessimism I have with the offense, um, I feel the opposite way with the defense. Like I said, I think this is a defense on the rise, and there's a reason to believe for sure. Um, and even knowing that this is a defense we saw in week two, basically sit back, get shredded on, on a, you know, play-by-play basis and this is an offense that where Trevor Lawrence is clicking it's a lot of quick throws you know three-step drops five-step drops and get the ball quick and kind of get it in space to Travis Etienne to Christian Kirk to Evan Ingram I do think like I said this defensive line especially is starting to get more consistent pressure on the quarterback really since that game uh in Jacksonville the secondary has been you can argue the best unit for the Colts uh overall the season so far so I'm with I feel good with this defense I don't think we'll see another 24 points scored by Jacksonville especially the ease at some point, which they scored it back in week number two. I'm with you. I feel really good about this defense. I think they'll continue what we kind of saw the last few weeks uh, and continue to play really, really good football here. So, George, let's get some picks here. It's it's finally pick time. We are one in four so so far this season. Of course, the only game we got right, I love how you phrase this, the free space game. Colts, Jaguars, and Jacksonville, it's a gimme. That was a gimme right there. We both got that one right, but – whether it's predicting the Colts to win and they lose, whether it's predicting the Colts to lose and they win, it's been a very tough year to read the Colts. How are we feeling so far? Jaguars, Colts, in which the Colts, again, for all their struggles in Jacksonville, have done a very good job in Indy, 8-2 and two in their last 10 matchups here. Is this a game the Colts go to 3-2-1 and one or 2-3-1? and one? Yeah, 8-2 and two at home and, and, and against this opponent and, and certainly a lot of reason to believe for Indianapolis coming into this week. But I, I go back to what we just said. 
I've got to see them do it. And this game, traditionally against Jacksonville, is one in the trenches. I don't trust the Colts' offensive line. I'm going to go 17 to 9 Jaguars. 17 to 9 Jaguars. It's interesting, too, because the Colts are favoring this game by two points, which I know the Jaguars are coming in struggling. Don't like that. The over-under is 42 points. So for all of, we, we said, I will say, the one thing we got right, George, last week, hammer the under. There will not be a lot of offensive boy. Do we get that right? Somehow, you know, we can even make the argument we were maybe even wrong and be too generous in giving each team a touchdown last week in that field goal fest. 17-9. I'm gonna I, I'm picking the Jaguars again. I will go a little, I will go 24-20. Uh, no, I'm sorry. I'll go 21-17. I do think the Jaguars, I just weird to say that they're coming and struggling. I just right now I can't trust this Colts offense to put four good quarters together. They've played well in the fourth quarter. The first three quarters have been anemic. We don't like the, the offensive line should play a little bit better, but also too, now you're still on the fly putting a brand new combination of five guys out there, whether you want to run it back from last week or you're trying to a brand new combo. Maybe you get, like I said, Dennis Kelly in the mix. There's still going to be a lot of communication issues and still kind of continuity to get flowing. And even with the injuries coming in for the Jaguars, it's still not a defensive line that I think is going to just get mauled by this cold offensive line anyway, or, you know, any which way around it. It's going to be another tough sledding game, I think, for Jonathan Taylor. And if can't establish a run, I think it's going to be one of those games where the Colts can have, again, another tough time on offense. Be a little bit, I mean, we're talking about 17 points here. So I guess that's one of the best offensive outputs for the Colts all season. So there's some, there's something be, there. You want to, you know, be, be an eternal forward. optimist. But boy, I yeah. Think, I think the optimism is we're one and four. So, you know, we're both picking the Jag. So, hey, maybe it means another Colts win. That's true. We'll see. That means if you are a better listener to this, hammer the Colts. Because boy, <laughs> oh boy, like I said, have we not been, have we not been picking winners? And the under. Uh, and the I would under. stick with the under to every Colts game uh, until further notice. Yes. Yes. Unless the opponent, unless the Jags hang 41 by themselves, it seems like this is going to be uh, another game where points are going to be hard to come by. So we're both on the Jags in a low scoring game. I'll go 21 17. Jacksonville, you're saying 13 9? 17. Jaguars? 17 9. Excuse 17, me. Nine Jaguars. Yep. Either way. I'm going to give still... Trevor Lawrence his, his two touchdowns. It feels like that's what he gets. <laughs> two touchdowns against the Colts. I'm going to give him his two touchdowns automatic oh boy so fingers crossed here we are wrong but like i said the colts still are not giving you any reason to believe we will be back on sunday to break down whatever happens in week six here pivotal week six game in which the colts again for for how bad they've been the division right there in front of them and you have this game against the jaguars next week against the titans it's there in front of the colts they want to take it to kind of turn the season around and erase what isn't so far a dreadful start to the season but i think there's right now at least a reason to believe that what we've seen to the first five weeks We'll carry into week number six. So again, make sure you check us out here wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, check out the Blue Horseshoe Pod. We will be uh, back again on Sunday night to react to that Colts game. In between, if you want to hear our thoughts uh, on Twitter during the game, you can check them out at GM Bremer. George will be live at the game. You can check me out at Ryan underscore Hickey in the number three. Enjoy the game on Sunday. Hopefully, hopefully there's something to kind of get happy about. Even if it's just one touchdown. Hey, at this point, George, we'll take one touchdown. One offensive touchdown. Sign me up. It would only be the seventh of the season. So, you know, those have been oh. rare. <laughs> Treasure it, all right? Take that touchdown, put it in the highlight reel, and just kind of rewatch it over and over again. Because, like I said, there's not many so far we have seen. Enjoy the game. We'll talk to you on Sunday night after the Colts game, right here in the Blue Horseshoe Podcast.